The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hey, y'all, I am broadcasting this week deep in the heart of Texas, Houston, Texas, that is. I'm down here choreographing two new works, one for the Uptown Dance Company, a nice smaller contemporary dance company in the city here, and I'm also creating a work for their pre-professional company in their school as well. So I'm busy in the studio, and I'm really enjoying the process of developing these new works. One piece is inspired by the fallout of a failed intervention. Don't ask where I get my inspiration from. My mind works in mysterious ways. But the piece for the kids is inspired by the concept of a continuous flow of dancers and movement in one direction across the stage. And it's a 10-minute piece, so I'm having to be extremely inventive to make sure that it doesn't uh, lose any of the interest of, of the viewers. So it's been a lot of fun. We're about halfway through both of the pieces and I've even gotten to uh, teach company class and I'm going to be running a few master classes in the next couple of days. So really looking forward to that. And there, apparently there's also a hurricane on the way. So <laughs> hoping that we don't have any issues with that. But, you know, that's just how life works. This is really stretching me as a, a choreographer and uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. So big shout out and thanks to Uptown Dance Company and Uptown Dance Center in Houston, Texas. Other than that, I am just looking for places in New York as my husband and I prepare to move to the city in, on October 1st. Um, I'll be back on the East Coast on August 30th, so I'll really get to dive into that search then. Uh, I'll also be returning to my regular class schedule in New York at Broadway Dance Center at that time. And if any classes, Steps on Broadway come out, you know how to... To find out, you can friend me on Facebook, and usually I post my schedule weekly there. So, I have a listener named Mary who already gave me a great topic to discuss this summer. After talking about technique tips for intermediate and advanced recreational dancers, she responded with a, a very kind, nice thank you, and she also suggested another topic. Um... It, and it appears that Mary is on a roll here because I really like this additional topic that she mentioned. And I feel like it's extremely relevant for the way that I work these days, mostly conducting open classes and master classes around the country. So Mary asked if I can share 10 signals that give me an, an immediate sense of the level of a dancer in my classes. And since I'm constantly working with new students in my classes this week, I've probably interacted with 30 to 40 new dancers. I feel like this is very uh, a very appropriate topic to chat about. Um, and just because Mary suggested something earlier doesn't <laughs> I, I felt that doesn't mean that I have to wait a long time to do this one. I, I, it feels so relevant. I just want to talk about it now because I'm 
I'm inspired by it. So thank you, Mary, again for inspiring this topic. Now let's get on it. Let me start off by saying that there is never any true marker that clearly tells a student's level. Some dancers with poor technique may suddenly have a natural rotation in turns or an immense lift in their jumps. Just they haven't really developed other aspects of their techniques surrounding these really great natural qualities. It also takes many classes to truly get a sense of a dancer's strengths and weaknesses, especially as many of us know, we don't perform exactly the same from class to class. With that said, let's move on to this discussion and see what my my top 10 things are. So here are my top 10 technique tests that set off my sensors to determine the level of a dancer. And one more time, just keep in mind that I work with students in both ballet and contemporary dance techniques and across the entire board. So just a disclaimer that this is a generalization. No angry hate mail, please. <laughs> um, but all joking aside, um, this is truly just a, a, a long list of, of assumptions of different things that aren't always a, a true marker, but often give me a good idea of a dancer's training level. Alright, number one, dress. <laughs> this one isn't always the best teller for the most skilled dancers uh, because they can wear a lot of different types of warm-ups and things like that, but it sure is great is a great meter for the less skilled dancers that take my classes. For instance, a few months ago I had a dancer show up to my ballet class wearing a baseball cap. <laughs> I quietly, nicely, but also very affirmatively told her that she had to take her hat off. I, I just quietly mentioned while the other dancers were doing combination, I didn't call her out in the middle of class, but I just w went up to her and I, I tried to be nice and mentioned that's not appropriate class attire for ballet. And <laughs> as soon as we began stretching at the bar, she picked up her stuff and left. So I'm pretty sure she didn't like it, but... I mean, that's that's how life is. <laughs> it, it's much more difficult to gauge a dancer's skill level, uh, though, in my contemporary classes because there isn't quite a common dress code. Do you wear a leotard or do you wear yoga pants and a shirt? Uh, is your hair up or is your hair down? Um, do you wear socks or bare feet or slippers, ballet slippers for those classes? There's a lot more that is acceptable in a contemporary class than a ballet class. But for ballet, you can usually tell a dancer is at a higher skill level, uh, not necessarily by how they are dressed for bar, but it's more what is underneath those layers. Uh, as usually they have whatever warm-ups they're wearing, but by the time that they come to centers, those start to come off. Also, the footwear that they wear. And for women, this is a big teller for me, whether their hair is clean and out of the way. Hair down or hair in a long ponytail that will smack you in your face while you're turning and flop around while you're jumping is the telltale sign of a dancer that doesn't quite understand the demands of a ballet class. Most dancers at a certain level, though, they won't necessarily have their hair in a bun in an open class, but their hair will at least be held back in a way that it's not going to uh, affect their ability to execute certain combinations in class. Alright, so the second teller of a, a dancer's skill level is their etiquette. Etiquette is a major part of dance that isn't taught as often as it should be. I talk about this all the time, especially in an open class environment. Aside from the most obvious thing, like using a cell phone during class, taking bathroom breaks or taking a moment to grab your water can be the most revealing thing about a dancer's education. 
for instance, if a dancer runs to the bathroom during self-stretching, which usually is right before Daggio in my class, or during the break between bar and center when you take the bars away and maybe some of the women put their point shoes on, I usually know that they have a clue as to how to conduct themselves and were trained at one point that this is the appropriate time to leave class if, <laughs> if you have to use the bathroom or run and get some water or something like that. But beyond this, making sure that a dancer is spaced properly in class is a big marker. It gives an idea of their spatial awareness. Uh, or does a dancer stand at bar with their left hand on the bar right away? If, they're, if they have the right hand on the bar right away and they're facing the wrong way to start, that's a, that's a big giveaway. Do they make sure that dancers are evenly spaced at bar or make sure that portable bars are placed exactly in line with the crack of the mirror if there are cracks in the mirror to avoid breaking their line visually as they practice and try their best to really extend their lines and see what the shapes they're making. Or when they come center, if it's their first class, <laughs> are they standing front and center? That happens all the time. A dancer that's never been in a class before and they come and stand front and center, I'm usually pretty sure that they, they aren't as clued into how things work. Um, are they cl too close to one another or do they not follow the rules of spacing when going diagonally across the floor? You know, like the shoulder to shoulder if you're going to too across the floor, if you're doing three it's the shoulder to shoulder with the first two in the front and the the one in the back is in the window so they can see themselves kind of like a triangle anything from these things to shouting out questions whenever they wish and more can give me a clear idea of a, of the skill level of a dancer before i even see a tondu or a developé Oh, wait, <laughs> and, and I forgot, even professionals acknowledge the start and end of the combination by posing in the preparation and then finishing in the same position. It is so revealing when dancers finish a combination and immediately step out of fifth position or first posi position and put their hands on their hips or start stretching. Uh, any trained dancer will at least take a moment to acknowledge the end of a combination. Then they'll let their hair down a little bit, but it's that idea that the etiquette of dance always says start prepared and prepared um it really reveals a lot to me all right third the use of the head with arms in port de bras i almost always know the professionals and the well-trained pre-professionals by the end of plies for some reason everybody else tends to completely ignore the relationship of the head to the hand from the very beginning of class in plies there isn't much happening aside from bending and stretching the knees and awakening the port de bras so, if a dancer moves their arm while staring straight forward, that is kind of a dead giveaway for the skill level from the very beginning of class. Port de bras is a majorly exposing marker of coordination and attention to detail in training. In fact, when I was up as the interim director of Alaska Dance Theater a couple of years ago, I worked with uh, Rosie Montgomery Webb, who was one of our uh, podcast hosts for a period of time on Becoming Ballet. And back in the beginning of my time working with her, we were preparing for Youth America Grand Prix. And she danced the, the first act Giselle variation. And every single day, I kept on telling her, port bras port bras bend more, use your arm here, bring your head in and follow your hand out there really bend 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 um i can't tell you how many times <laughs> we talked about port de bras in her her coaching sessions and she went on stage she did very well she ended up getting the top 12 of contemporary she didn't quite place that high in uh the classical uh category but when we got her scorecards back 
every single judge checked that she needed an improvement on her port-a-bras, and one or two of them even wrote actual comments that said that she needed to focus more on her port-a-bras, uh, which was fantastic for me, <laughs> because it was really telling her that I knew what I was talking about when I was like, I know you feel like you're bending enough, but you're really not bending enough. But So that gives you like a little idea of how important port-a-bras is. So if you start your plies and your head and your hand are not moving together, that's a dead giveaway, or as you go out throughout the rest of class, whether it be wrong on the jambes or uh, even going up into an arabesque and the way that you use your head and your arms that that kind of tells me a lot all right number four i've talked about this on here a couple times i think i actually even talked about it in that podcast that mary had requested previously leg engagement I can't say that this is the most valid way to see a dancer's level of advancement in dance because I swear I didn't figure this one out until I was 25 years old. <laughs> I mean, some days I don't even know how I became a professional without certain <laughs> knowledge of certain things. But the way that dancers engage their legs going from tendu into a jeté to a fondu, développé, and grand battement tells me a lot about a dancer's skill level. My favorite teacher in New York City, you already know her name, Nancy Bielski at Steps on Broadway. She always tells the dancers in her class not to have soggy legs. Think along the lines of wet cardboard versus dry. You don't want to have wet cardboard type legs. You want them to be fully engaged. This is great imagery for the amount of tension that needs to be created in one's body. But many dancers who progress beyond a certain level but haven't figured out this out tend to hoist their legs into the air with every muscle they have in their legs, except the ones that <laughs> at the meeting point of the femur and the hip joint. Those supporting, like in the, the bottom of the, the glute area, the external rotators, the internal rotators, all of that stuff. Uh, this lifting of one's leg often leads to those thick, overdeveloped thighs that so many of us have, have had, or are afraid of getting. If a dancer approaches extension or lifting their legs in the way that they are doing a tendu that reaches so far while leaving their hips stationary that it has no choice but to extend off the floor because it can't stay on the floor because you're reaching so much, then I can certainly tell that they are well trained and tra are tracking at a higher skill level. With this extensive reach of the leg out of the hip socket, the entire leg is taut with tension, including that point where the femur meets the hip. Not only does this mean it is fully supported to hold, but it also makes it easier to maintain an extension. Think of it this way. If you have a box of spaghetti and you pull out one of the noodles, if, you hold, if you've cooked it and it's a wet noodle and you try to hold it up in the air, it will sag down because it has no tension left in it. But if you pull a dry noodle immediately out of the box and you hold it at one end, it will stand up in the air for, <laughs> without any issues. Now, if you have a dry noodle that somehow got wet in the middle, it still isn't going to stand upright because it's lacking tension in an integral part of the structure of the noodle to hold it upright. Hopefully that didn't get too crazy for you, but it makes a lot of sense to me, and I hope that it clarifies a bit of what I'm trying to, to get across and what I'm trying to share with you. So try not to have those wet noodle legs Try to have those very reaching, fully extended, taut legs. Okay, this is our halfway point. Number five, I've said on here before, I mentioned it in my Teacher for Teacher feature with Inside Dance Magazine this past spring, and I will say it on here again. 
The placement of the hips when standing in any position, in any type of plie, or while in releve, scream to me about a dancer's level of training. Like I often say, the lack of engagement in the glutes is a major issue I see across the country. Yes, you don't want to push your pelvis so far forward that it's tucking, but you have to engage your butt and bring your hips to a neutral place. If your rear and external rotators aren't engaged, even when standing in the simplest of positions, your legs aren't attached to or supported into your torso without anything but bone, tendon, and ligament, allowing the legs to essentially hang off of the torso. When I see dancers releasing their glutes, especially in plie, and they look like they are leaning back to sit on a toilet, or as I sometimes call in my classes the ballet twerk, <laughs> it is a pretty solid indicator that the student is either a beginner student or received poor training along their path to my classes. Okay, no rest for the weary. We're going to push on through here, guys. So number six, retention of material. There are many ways to retain material, but especially when it comes to ballet class, any good teacher creates patterns in their combinations that challenge the mind, work the muscles effectively and evenly, and that follow some type of order. There are certain patterns that are commonly used in classes, like doing a combination in quarters from front to the, or to the front and then to the side and then to the back, and then they'll do a tag on that fourth quarter. Then the combination can be repeated coming from the back going to the side and then going to the front and then repeating that tag in, in the reverse from there. I always tell my students that as long as I catch the first quarter and the tag, I generally already know the whole combination, even if I zone out because I'm so tired <laughs> from waking up too early or if I start thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch. Most dancers that are more skilled develop tools to retain material. Whether what I just mentioned or finding pillars that they have created in their mind to have jumping off points and reset points as they go throughout class. Everybody is different, but an intelligent and trained dancer can navigate a new teacher's class faster than one who needs time to adapt or doesn't have the skills to organize and retain class material. Okay, number seven, how a dancer accesses their releve. There is a lot more control and coordination involved in releve than most people think. And watching a dancer rise onto demi point or point can be very revealing about a dancer's technical abilities. The most skilled dancers know that releve is created by putting pressure into the fronts of the ankles, which initially causes the, heel the heels to rise off of the ground. But eventually the heel actually has to press out over the, the toes, generally with an emphasis towards the first and second metatarsals or big toe and second toes. Now, this is all well and good, but many less skilled dancers who do execute this don't know how to engage their inner thighs towards each other when they are oppositionally pressing their heels and ankles out in releve. The combination of all of these things and whether a dancer presses up to releve or jumps and whether they can control the heel from dropping or if it makes a sound as they lose control of the heel are key factors in telling me a dancer's skill level. All right. Or to our, our, our last three, taking corrections. This is an interesting indication of level of advancement for dancers. In the most advanced classes, when a dancer is given a correction, they understand that we are fine-tuning their dancing. So when they take a correction, it is minor, and sometimes not even 100% visual, uh, or visually seen by the eyes of the instructor when it's fixed. Now, what I often find with dancers who have progressed to further levels mentally, but don't have the strength and advancement of technique, is that they take minor adjustments and corrections from the instructor way too far. For instance, if I tell a student that their hip is too high, 
they will abruptly and forcefully try to fix the issue. But due to a few things ranging from lack of training to attempting to prove to the teacher that they're actually trying and belong there, which is not a bad thing. It's a bit overzealous, but it's not a bad thing. They overcorrect, which unfortunately leads to me having to give them another correction. The idea behind a correction is that it shouldn't be fixed by the dancer at such an extreme opposite that it requires a new correction. This can be very revealing when you get into the more advanced levels with dancers who got moved ahead before they probably should have been. Alright, number nine, accents. One of the most complex things to master in a ballet class, or even in certain movements in contemporary class, is the ability of dancers to show clarity in accents, whether they are in or whether they are out. For instance, if a dancer has generally even tendus, my assumption is that their skill level is not too high. Essentially, accenting shows that dancers have the ability to move at a certain rate of speed, that they have a sense of ingrained musicality in their muscles, and that they will be able to use the force of the accents in their bodies to create force for traveling, turns, and big jumps. I remember the first time I stood beside Ashley Bowder at Bar, she's a New York City Ballet principal now, uh, when I was at still at the School of American Ballet when she was still in the Corps. I had never seen somebody so perfectly and almost neurotically get their legs in and out of positions, and I remember this being in Tondus. If you look at her today, this fine dancer is best known for her jumps, turns, and spot on musicality and footwork. Uh, another way to, to explain this, I, I think that might be helpful, is that idea that if you think about a jeté at the bar, um, really what you're preparing yourself to do is throw the leg quickly into the air so that you can achieve height to jump to it. But at the same time, if you so that's the accent out. So at the same time, the accent in is when once you say do a grand jeté, if you stay in that split, you throw the legs out, but you can't get the legs fast quickly back underneath your hips. You're going to land awkwardly, possibly injuring yourself or thudding or just being completely off balance. So the ability to accent out is to get the leg out for the jump, but the, ability, the accent in is uh, to show or to get the leg back down underneath you so that you can land. So if I see somebody doing very even jetés at bar, like I was saying, for those reasons, I'm assuming that if I gave them a grand jeté that they're probably not going to be able to execute it. Um, so this one is extremely revealing for me. Alrighty, last one, line. This one may seem to be the most obvious, but that isn't always the case. Some dancers don't have to even think and their body creates the perfect line, while others could spend their entire lives cultivating their skill set and their body rejects the lines that they wish they could make. But still, even with dancers that lack certain things like beautifully arched feet or great turnout, you can usually tell after a while whether these dancers are skilled or not. Usually, this comes in the form of the intelligence and understanding that they show throughout class from combinations to corrections to self-care and responsiveness. While I love a beautiful line, I'd much rather a smart and thoughtful dancer with a good line than a naturally gifted dancer with an incredible line that never develops certain skills when it comes to work, ethic, reproduction material, and consistency. So, there you have it. Here are 10 of the most revealing items that can tell me the skill level of a dancer in my classes. Thanks again to Mary for suggesting this fun topic for me to talk about. If any of you out there are thinking, I've got something I want to hear Barry talk about on Pada Chat Talking Dance, you can always send me your suggestions via my contact page on my website, which I will soon mention in the credits.
So since I've already mentioned those credits, it seems like this is the right time to say goodbye. So let's get those credits rolling. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorlis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find those on premierdancenetwork.com, that's P-R-E-M-I-E-R, no E at the end, dancenetwork.com, or on iTunes. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on my social media channels on Facebook, Instagram where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years. I also have a YouTube channel that features my choreography, and you can find that at B. Corollis. Thanks for listening in to Pod Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.